Gaming and BS episode 297 being recorded Monday, June 1st, 2020. Black Lives Matter! Welcome to table. Welcome to gaming and BS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean, and I'm Brett. It's June eighth. Just so you know, what did I say? You said June first because we had June first in there because I did a copy paste from June eighth. Yes. Ah well. <sighs> How the hell are you, Sean? I am okay. Getting gaming in last weekend or I last did, week? I did. I. Well, I ran Mothership on Thursday. Good. Was it? Uh, it was good. It was good. good. They uh, Spoilers, if you're watching it. Probably not. It's up on YouTube. It's uh, But they got they got loose. Their ship got oh, loose nice. from the, the Harpoon. And they have sublight engines enabled. Um, Are they fleeing? I'm not sure what they're going to do. Like, we, I don't know. Like, hey, what, okay, you guys got free, and there's been a couple aliens around the ship, and they've dispatched them. Uh, but now what, they're, what are they going to do? Oh, okay. They, they, don't have, they don't have jump drives, so they're... But they're on a turning point now. They need to decide what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's good. I, was, uh, I had some other plans if they didn't get free, but that's okay. Like there you I, go. I didn't write it in stone. I didn't play the heavy hand. I mean, Jim, playing uh, the guy who was laser cutting it, he crit failed but and set him back. But you know, he made some crucial rolls, and I figured, all right, yeah, okay. But otherwise, other than that, um, I didn't. I have not. I did not play anything else. You? I uh, made a new dwarf uh, scout ranger type uh, for the Undermount game, so that was cool. Um, Except about three quarters away in the session, I'm like, this character sucks. I want to make a new one. So we got done. I looked at Alpha and said, Can I rebuild this guy? He goes, Yeah, go ahead. I didn't, you didn't seem to be having as much fun. And I wasn't, I just didn't like the character much. So I'm going to rebuild it into something else. Must rebuild it. Must rebuild it. I yes. have the technology. <clears throat> but I don't want to spend a lot of money. Um, no. Let's see. I ran my Avalon game with my home group. It was fun. <clears throat> They've. <laughs> The Penangalons, the two, the twin vampire sisters, they've kind of accepted the fact that there are two vampire, weird-ass Malaysian vampires that are vying for control of the neighborhood. They're like, yeah, got other problems right now. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> Which I think comes from the fact that they have no real idea how to dispatch the creatures. Hmm. Um, once they've realized that it's not a normal vampire, i.e. garlic, wooden steaks, and so forth, they're... They're finding out, like, home remedies, like, well, how do you stop it? Well, easy. You sleep with your left hand in curdled milk and uh, put blowfish oil on your neck. And they're like, what? It's just some home remedy. It's some wives' tale. It's hearth knowledge, you know, something that you pick up. Okay. So, <laughs> so people are like, ee, 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 rubbing blowfish oil on the side of their neck going, hey, maybe that'll work. So that's the type of fixes that they're finding. But they're digging into other things, so it's been fun. Distracting the hell out of them. Basically, from the pressure component, I look back at what I did, and it's been, if there were, like, old-school kitchen timers where you tick, 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 ding, you know, at the end, I think I wound up about 10 of them last session and just set them all on the table. 
<laughs> so the characters can all hear them. Ticka, 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 ding, ding. It's all going to go off at some point. But yeah, I just said a shit ton of different clocks and ideas and things that are happening. I do find it's really fun to torture my friend Nick. I shot the hell out of his character last time we got ambushed. Couldn't figure out why. Still can't 100% figure out why. It's good. It's all good. And I did, uh, <clears throat> I boned up on my Call of Cthulhu 7th edition rules. I have a quick start set. I read through that real quick. Got some clarifiers from the Keeper's book. Because my kids are still dead set that they want to try uh, Call of Cthulhu next. We did Trail. Now they want to do Call of Cthulhu. So that will be Wednesday this week. I'll be doing that with them. So that should be good. Very cool. Sweet. Other than that, man, let's see here. How's your YouTube channel going? You got that figured out yet? I have not, but I have a a an insider man that I didn't know. But we'll get, uh, get they work. Inside, man. They, they work for they work for uh, a a division of the YouTubes that uh, we will keep their. Uh, keep them anonymous, but no, sources, uh, sources like that you hang on to. You know, to say, "Oh, I know this person and their name." Uh, never they, mind what their they name were. Is. They were. Hey, let me know if there's a problem. I'll, I'll I'll take a look at it. But nice. I think it's. I'm. You know, I'm sure it's some weird nuance thing that's coming up. I don't. I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's because I. So I know YouTube is. You are a person, therefore you have your YouTube. And you're supposed to be, kind of represent yourself. So Sean Kelly, if I created a channel called Sean Kelly and I put videos out there, I and as long as I'm not violating other any other terms, it would be fine. And then we have our brand channels. So I think I think I'm trying to create a channel, and it it may be no, you can't have a channel if it's not a brand or you yourself. So if that if it's just that, okay, great. I'll I'm create it. I'm hearing user error is what I'm hearing. Uh, it could be. It could which be. Which is that, like, I got a brand new chainsaw, and I uh, the damn chain jumped the bar, which was annoying, and uh, got damaged. Right. Oh, God, son of a bitch. It's all, it's all user error. It's brand new. Let's go run a damn good blade. saw. Good blade, blah, blah, blah. I fucked up. Too much slack in the blade. Um, I saw it. I saw it loose, and I thought I could tighten it. Next. Just, just a couple more of these little branches, and I'll be done. Yep. Dumbass. Yeah. So, similar thing. Chain slipped. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of uh, I just create an email address and 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 create a, an account and or do just it that way put or it just under the gaming BS or put it under gaming and BS again. I don't want to have anything mess up our shit. We got some traction on our stuff. See, which I've noticed. So our views have gone up. I've actually watched YouTube videos and it's recommended our video. Like it's like, hey, watch Holy this. Crap. <laughs> well, and it's because. Similar it, topic. It, and it, well, no, no, it mm -hmm. wasn't unknown or to me that if you just upload audio with no video, it's just an album cover, which we yeah, did for a hundred episodes. Yeah, yeah, we did for a while. Uh, they lower your exposure. Yeah, we talked about that. Because YouTube is yeah. a visual medium. It's a visual thing. And so yeah. you got to have video on there. And if you have video and it has something to do with other videos, then you'll there get... You you'll get thrown around. So anyway, yeah. you're getting that sorted out. No, oh, getting, getting it sorted out, man. I don't Although I've had, I've well, had a recommendation. Somebody, uh, I, I, I have it in a spreadsheet and somebody, is it their name escapes me and I apologize, but they said, Hey Sean, great idea. DCC spell, uh, do spell duel. Like that's people like, don't, 
do that because I think it's intimidating and people don't know how to do it. That would be a good one. I'm like, that's a very good example. Thank you. So, yeah, that would be. You might actually, you want to might, you want to might, you might want to bring in a big gun and get old like Jen or somebody to help you walk through that one. If you can't yes. suss it out on your own. People have said, hey, you should have the creator, like Christian Serrano said, hey, you should have, then you could have the creator on there. And I'm like, yes, yes, I could. Problem, creator doesn't have a good mic. They don't yeah, have a yeah, good yeah. camera. Their lighting sucks. Well, you, I can't coordinate yeah. schedules. You ah. and I have talked about this before. One of the things I, I love that we do, and I know some people don't like it as much. I like talking to folks like we had Jen Brinkman and Tim DeShane and and uh, Serrano and, and Ron Blessing and other folks on the show. They're fans of a product. Yes, we have had Eloy Lasanto, who's a super cool dude, talking yes. about his stuff. But he's also taught in this. We did the same thing with Dave Beatty. Talked about his stuff, but we also talk about larger things in general. Things that we know these <clears throat> these individuals are fans of. It's much more fun, in my opinion. To uh, I, I think that's more. I, I get more influence when I hear people who are essentially friends of mine or friends of my friends telling me that this is a really cool thing. That means a hell of a lot more to me. You know, when Hobbs is saying, "Man, this is a really cool game. This low fantasy is really sweet." And when you tell me that, that means something. Right. You know, it's pretty cool. All right, man. Yes. Sweet. Well, um, anything else, yeah. sir? I don't think so. All right. Want to random encounter it up? Uh, yeah, just one second. I forgot to add something in, and I don't... I'll tell you what. Yeah, we'll do random encounter. Let's do okay. that. Random Encounter, segment of the show where we cover voicemails, emails, comments from social media. Brett, if you would be so kind to mm -hmm. read the first one, and then I will cue up the audio that we have. Ah, okay. So, Patron Dirtless wrote in to address D DM Kojo's dilemma. Hey, BS. <clears throat> Let's see here. Kids in games. I have three boys. They've been playing in-person tabletop games, D&D &D 5e, for a bit now. All of them handle the pandemic differently. My oldest, high school graduate now was in a short-lived in-real-life group, and now is on a regular weekly Roll20 game. Gaming for him has been easier because he really enjoys the online format. My second son, now a sophomore, has been running a 5e group. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, God, I mowed the lawn today. I just inhaled, like, grass and crap. Anyway, <laughs> uh, he's running a 5e group for over a year before things changed. After a few weeks at home, he tried running a Discord game. It didn't go as expected. Too many distractions. Some of them still had a good time on Xbox or PC with each other, but not all of them can get on, <clears throat> get online like that. In real life, after an hour of BS with each other, they collect phones to help with the distractions. Even with that, sometimes <laughs> they'll only be able to play for a half hour before the quote-unquote squirrel shows up. Um, <laughs> they all seem to have a good time just hanging out. For them, it's more about socializing with each other. My youngest son, middle school, as a bi-weekly group come over where they would hang out for an hour or so, then I would run a game for them for the next two hours or so. None of them were interested in playing online. They all enjoy the game for different reasons, and as long as they're as long as they are enjoying it, I'm good with that. I'm running a weekly game with the family, which keeps us all at the table together for one night a week, anyways. In that game, you lost my place. Excuse me. In that game, I asked um, I asked if they want to keep track of arrows and rations. They all agreed. No. I let them know that's not a problem, but it. If something happens, like they get stuck in a dungeon, that I would let them know that they need to start when they need to start worrying. And guess what? Whenever I call a Cthulhu game, I always encourage the investigators to use luck. 
I like it when their luck gets low and someone asks if they remember the name or if they have an item, then I ask for a luck roll. <laughs> good work, good work. As far as the equipment goes, I like to use <clears throat> I like to use the does it make sense approach. For example, I do backpack and generally know what to bring with you. So if a player says I go through the bag and pull out a tent stake, sure, it takes a bit, but you have it. I also know when you are crossing a stream or river, you unclip your bag. Wait, was that a failed dex roll? There goes just about everything you had out in the middle of the woods. I don't know about scuba diving, but if a player says that they have that thing that divers do and it makes sense, then they have it. I can always take it away later. Hoping my son look into roll 20 brought up a question. What do you think of pay-to-play games? There seems to be a lot of them listed on roll 20 in looking for games. Dan, a.k.a. Dirtless, or maybe now Dirt1. <sighs> pay-to-play. Okay, first thing first. <clears throat> Good insight on the kids. And I think that kind of emphasizes what I tried to say and what, Sean, we were trying to feed back to Kojo was that it kind of depends on the kid and there's going to be different levels of distraction and sometimes different different groups can tolerate certain things differently. So I like that. Um, I like that you've got a decent spread of kids like I do where you can say, these are acting like this, this group's acting like that, this other group acts like this. You've got your own little uh, Petri dish of experiments going on there. That's pretty cool. Um the pay to play, I see that on roll twenty, and I always go, "What the hell ever?" I got to get on there and do it. Hundred bucks an hour. Hundred bucks an hour. <laughs> Whatever game you want to play, Sean, the the conductor. Hundred bucks an hour. Punch your ticket. <clears throat> I think it's crap. Personally, there's plenty of good fun to be had. Otherwise, I don't know. Maybe maybe pay to play is super fun for some people. But honestly, if if I was going to sign up for a pay to play event like that um my first thought was i need a resume and examples of your work so on and so forth because i'm going to pay for it i need to know it's going to be worth it not a gaming convention paying to get into a gaming convention and then five bucks for an event four dollars for an event whatever dollars for an event yes that's a con that's its own thing that's in person if the game sucks i've talked about this before i will walk away i have walked away i'll go do something else there are plenty of things to interest me at a convention but if I pay to play, and uh, or Sean's paying to play, and he goes, wow, I'm going to play with that Brett guy. And he drops whatever it is. Turns out he can't stand me, I'm an ass, or it's no fun, or the game isn't anything he thought it would be. I don't know, man. I, I That turns me off. I hear that, and I'm like, ah, garbage. That's my first thought. I know somebody out there probably has had really good experiences and has a totally different view. I just uh, I don't know if I can get past that. There's some people that really get bent out of shape about professional game masters. I've seen, oh, yes. I've seen a couple of people post on Twitter, friends that I know that just are like, that is bullshit. And I'm like, Oop. this is an argument that has happened since the 70s. I have Dragon Magazine's old ones um, back when I had the old CD-ROM set. So I have all of them from back in the day. People have been complaining about game masters not being paid since the beginning of the damn hobby, practically. I do all the work. They should be paying. I've seen it. I've heard it. Ah, weird. Just weird. Anyway, you said you got a voicemail queued up? I do have a voicemail. Thanks, Dan, for writing in, buddy. Yeah, he's thanks, also uh, he's in the chat tonight. Thanks for Oh, Dan, sweet. For That's good in. stuff. We have a voicemail from Old School DM. Oh, God. That's either he so... <laughs> uh, <clears throat> old, old what are you worried is, about? Old school savvy, right? So 
He knows his stuff. So this means we're either on the money or we're going to get spanked, man. Or, oh, oh, he's so... Okay. All right. I, I, I'm sure it's it's all good, right? Lay it Randy's, on me. Randy's Lay good on. people. All right, he here is we go. Good, he is good yeah, people. Yeah, not, not, yeah. Nothing against well, him. Well, I'm very... He knows, he, he knows his stuff. And got, if you... If you miss a point, he's he knows where to find it. So he's good. He's solid. Go. He, he got this right in at the wire. Like literally, I was doing our show notes, and boop, it came into the inbox. And I'm like, hey, it's all good. So we'll we'll play it. I haven't listened to it. So if he's dropping f bombs through this, hey, I don't know, whatever. I don't think so. I, I'm sure it's all good. It's all good. Here we go. Hey, Sean and Brett, this is Randy Farmer, the old school DM calling. I'm talking about episode two nine six Russian skier counting and resources. Uh, I specifically want to talk about uh, DM Kojo's call-in for his fledgling DM. And I think we should point him in the direction of various mechanisms for increasing engagement that we use at the table. The episode itself mentions a GM giving themselves doom points if the party is lagging. That's certainly one possibility. I found some techniques to engage players who aren't yet used to paying rapt attention. Bonuses for focus. I musically score my game, including a special combat score. And I ask each player to provide me with a 90-second theme for their character. I make a playlist alternating the music in the encounter with the character score. Then, the secret sauce, I give a bonus plus one to any role if they make their action while their theme is playing. The order of the theme is fixed, so everyone is constantly watching out for each other to make sure that they can get their plus one if possible. It also speeds up combat. For me... The general idea of every player watching out for another player is key to keeping them engaged. I uh, previously on the forum shared my fudge token design, where you get transferable plus one tokens. This invests every player in every role, not just combat, by every player. Sometimes, for new GMs and players, attention is a real problem due to lack of experience or just not a lot of practice with the game. But there are lots of ideas out there that I would love to see us talk about and share in helping our players retain attention, whether it's online or at the table. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Look at that. On that one, yeah. It's good. No, and, and Randy, dude, I'm just, I'm just giving you crap, but Randy, Randy knows his stuff. <laughs> he got, does. We have some incredibly savvy listeners we really do our community is we're very blessed to use that word we, we've got some really great men and women in here that know their stuff and have some really good points hashtag truth totally i mean we, this is that was fucking that was awesome stuff yeah that's great randy's always good good stuff even good. even when we get even when, hey we get spanked sometimes and that's fine <laughs> hey so you gotta call bs when we're be, when we're off man well oh, i think cool. Ra- randy the reason we're bringing up Randy, we kind of laugh, is that he knows his stuff. And when we tend to get off on a tangent that isn't something that's very concrete or actionable or we're more, um, well, less tangent, well, more tangential, but kind of off a bit. You know, Randy's, I mean, you could tell by the method of what he, how he runs his games. He's he's got very uh how what am I looking for? Very purposeful like approach to to how he gets people to pay attention. Yeah, he he's got a, he's got a yeah. mechanism and a method 
that he uses. And he's so there are a number. Of, Randy's one of the people that, and I know there's others out there that have written into us and given us kind of a. I have a method, method or a mechanism. I have an approach, and here's how I do it. Right. And I have found over the almost six years of Sean and I doing this, I'm like, oh yeah, I do that. How do you do that? I don't know how I do that. I just do that. Right. Some of those things are just it happens. And when Sean and I BS back and forth trying to figure it out, some of it is like, how the hell do you actually do this thing? Right. So when somebody's able to take that piece and distill it down to, I have a five-step approach and here's what it is. That's awesome because it's very, very helpful. Yeah. And uh, I love everything you said there. So that's really cool. Yeah. Thanks, Randy, man. That, and a pleasant surprise. First time he's called in. Oh, ever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Voicemail. So, and sounds sultry. Yeah. Like smooth. It's all good. All good. All good. All right. Moving on. Patron Jared Rasher comments on all about the resources. I still think the best explanation at, uh, at least early on for skill challenges wasn't in any of the fourth edition D&D books. It was in the Star Wars Saga D20 book Galaxy of Intrigue. The first 20th level first the first 20th level range meant that math was a little less strained than the first 30th range for D&D. And it holds lots of optional rules for different types of skill challenges like complications on a failure, time challenges, exceptional successes and catastrophic failures. I used it a few times when I was running my Saga game, and they worked well. There are so many forgotten bits in D&D 5e, not to mention things you think are there but aren't. There aren't surprise rounds. There are no spell research rules, but there are rules for mapping and group skill challenges. Dude, I gotta, I gotta reread the PHB man on 5e. Like I must be running that thing every time I all see, messed up. Every time I see Jared's another one, right? So every time I see people like Jared who who know who know stuff and, and are, I mean, we've talked Dude, about this many times. What are we doing that, here? What are we doing I, here? I, I'm doing this so I can learn from these people. That's what I'm here for. Apparently, yeah. Thank God. If it weren't for them, I'd have just six years of ignorance on my part. Um, he a, no, seriously, he a mess. Yeah. <laughs> seriously though, it's that. And I think we said this last time is that, oh, yeah, that's always in there. No, it's not. <laughs> there's no take 20. There's no hold action. There's no reset. There's those things don't exist. And, and if you're playing both, like on Tuesdays, I'm running Pathfinder because that's what my group wants. And on Thursday, we're playing 5e. Ah, that's fun. Oh, yeah, I, I do this. You can't do that. Ah, crap. Don't you have a feat that does that? Ah, shit, wrong game. <laughs> that's that's only two days between Tuesday and Thursday to get my brain. Yeah. Good stuff though. This is awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. have to crack. I I started reading this and I I made my I just sent myself an email. Read PHB again. <laughs> Funny. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, let's see. Okay, I think where I leave off. So many forgot bits in D and D five. Not to mention. Okay, Mappy. Oh, groups. Anyways, there are so many forgotten bits in D and D five. E not to mention things you think are there but aren't. Blah blah blah. Okay. For example, if Someone in the group is mapping. You can't get lost if you backtrack your way out of an area you have visited. That's in the core rules. The player character just needs to be assigned to map, and that character can't use passive perception while they're doing so. Did you know that, Brett? I did know that. I know that because my character in the Underbound game, I'm actively mapping. Huh. And I had somebody, well, you can't really do that. Yes, I can. Whack. <laughs> I pulled that sucker out. I knew that one. That one I Man. knew. 
I feel like a complete dolt right now. Like I, I don't even know how I could be running five E. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any rules, lawyers. Obviously. Yeah. The, <laughs> I don't know, man. They, I don't know either. There's. It's all good. There's, now that there's there's something to be said like to get system mastery. Some people get it like oh. this really quick. Yeah. Take a guy like Randy Farmer. He, if I were to play in Randy's game, I'm sure it, he knows five E. If I said, well, how do you? Boom! He just dropped the dropped yeah. the truth on me. Right. The rest of us got to look shit up. And sometimes if we don't want to look it up, we're we're doing the house rule thing. We're just moving along. We mean to look it up later, and then two weeks go by and we forgot to look up that rule. You know, because it happens. But this is good stuff. Keep going. Group skill challenges are right in the ability checks section. If the DM thinks you could do something as a group, everyone makes the check. And if 50% or more makes the check, it's a success. Great for making a good impression on someone or compensating for your plate-armored paladin when sneaking past the bandit camp. Ghost of Salt March also introduces more granular results for group challenges with total success, slash success, slash failure, slash total failure as results. When it comes to tracking resources, I think it can work, but I do think you need some rules to add to the stakes when using those rules for meaningful tension. For example, I really think there should have been more long-term exploration rules introduced in Tomb of Annihilation for things like provisions going bad, etc. WotC had an unearthed arcana for exploration, but the example they gave was very specific to exploring a a constrained area and I would have rather seen it used for a more expansive general terrain. I think there have been some games that have done a great job of looking at what exploration looks like and designing rules based on that, like Forbidden Lands, which I have only spent a little time looking at, but it's built to include exploration checks and attrition. Or the One Ring, as well as the snap-on version of the One Ring rules for 5e found in Adventures in Middle-Earth. That said... Those are un- are universal fixes. They are meant to evoke a very specific feeling. For example, Adventures in Middle-Earth's journey rules don't feel quite right for traveling in settled regions of the Sword Coast in Faroon, or the super harsh conditions or of Athos, for example. I'm a big fan of just having casters invest X amount of gold in material components that they could declare for a spell as they cast it. So it, costs, so it still costs them gold, but it is more flexible long-term. I'm okay. I'm even okay with declaring what your version of material components for that spell is. If you attempt to spell sell back your spell components, you only get 50% of the cost. Because not everyone wants your bits and bobs of broken powdered stuff for anything else when you sell it back to someone. Cool. Cool. I, I don't know, man. There's just... Man, Jared, why am I? I need to. I need to play in a Jared Five E game, and then I'll be like, "Oh, this is it. how you play D anD D." Oh, now I, get, now, now I get this. <laughs> now I get this. Good stuff, man. It is I, good stuff, Jared Rasher. It is. I. Hmm, how do I say this? So it's. I hear this stuff I'm like, God damn it! How come I don't know that? And it's very tempting to feel like a oh. complete idiot, which I do right now. I feel like a complete moron that I don't know some of that stuff. It is so hard. I'm also, in the meantime, reading this other rule book or writing this thing or reading this other thing. So, huh? Excuses, excuses, bro. Yeah, I just gotta. I think I'm just gonna have to knuckle down and read it again. Pick up. Hey, 
pick RTFM. up the damn book and read it again. Read RTFM, the fucking manual. man. Read the fucking manual. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we got to do again. <laughs> All right. Oh. Dude, you're busy over there, man. Ticky tacky tacky ticky ticky tacky. Yeah, I know. My my dad's bitching at me. Sorry. Oh, that's all. That's... He's mad about something, and I'm like, okay. I didn't. I didn't do that. That's different. That, than that, a... that, 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 this, the furnace isn't working right. I didn't do that, Dad. That's not me. Sorry. That's a. That's different than a data center being down. Yeah, that Dad, was totally different. Dad, priority this, data this center. Is, that center, wait. That's, I, I have people for that. Right. I have people for that. Yeah. I, it's just me. <laughs> it's just me fixing this other fair. This other issue. Do you want me to read the next one? Yes, if you As would. You, yeah, okay. Yeah, All right. Please. Double, double dipping for Sean. Here we oh, yeah. go. Okay, give you something to do. Mad V comments on all about the resources. So last episode, Brett and I talked about like, hey, what about a resource intensive game where you're keeping track of arrows and water and all this stuff? So he continues, uh, hello, gentlemen. Good episode, though. I think you missed a few points. <laughs> Shocker. First, I often hear people subscribe to is resource management at low level that fades away. I think there's a lot of valid, uh, validity to this point, though it's not something I do personally. Managing a few rations and resources has some serious cost at levels one through three, maybe even four. After that, not so much. Obviously, different games may have different ranges. It's easy to transition the game away from there if that's your goal. Okay. Second, dose. Resource management really works best, in my opinion, baked into the system. Having ran Dark Sun games, even without create food and water spells around level five to six, resource management really hit the point where they where they aren't really an issue. At least that's always been my issue, and I've ran more than my fair share of DS. Even when I ran Fallout, it wasn't baked into the system to make resource management a big deal after the early part of the game. Of course, as Game Master, I could have make, made it work, but it really would have just been uh, dick and would have just been a dick, dick move been a dick move <laughs> dick move yeah been a dick move could have made it might have been a bit dick <laughs> uh, and made the game less fun for everyone including myself in my opinion uh, my personal rule is it's not a part of the game unless it's baked in mechanically uh, in which case it's always part of the game I'm going to go out on a limb and say Matt probably doesn't play BX. Huh. Maybe. Yeah, it's okay. Maybe. Keep going. It's okay. I don't think it's uh, a fun aspect in a heroic fantasy type game. However, in the right games, it's fantastic. Not only is it fun to balance resources for survival, it creates a very real tension meta and in-game. That being said, there are three games that I can think of offhand that really get resource management right. Red Market, Mutineer Zero, and Torchbearer, which I think somebody in the last episode actually mentioned. Yep, I've heard good things about Torchbearer. Yeah, the former two of which are excellent games, while the later I don't personally care for overall. Torchbearer 2 or 2nd Edition, or they're, they're, they re-kickstarted it um, with like a revised, kind of an upgrade kind, but it just recently I think came to an end, so... Just in case somebody wants to buy it out there, make sure you know which version you're getting. MYZ and Torchbearer are pretty similar. Mutineer Zero are pretty similar in how they handle resources. You have inventory slots versus encumbrance. Do you drop that for food to carry that artifact home? In Red Market, your gear has upkeep cost instead. Encumbrance isn't necessarily tracked. However, upkeep is a real cost, and you only have a couple refreshes in game, if any. All three games' resources have a strong meta property. For instance, food in Mutineer Zero is used to recover health, 
while in red market it is needed to push speed or strength checks. It's a very interesting thing where the metagame plays well into the in-game play to create real tension. While I could see some GMs or players scoffing at such an idea, I highly recommend you check it out first to see how beautifully they interact together. The meta aspect increases the in-game tension in much the same way the Doom mechanic from Conan does. Yeah, yeah. My players in Mutineer Zero are pretty far and have created a real functioning society. Food is pretty cheap and now, and they have a steady supply of water at their base. However, they are still pushing resources on almost every expedition. Do I bring my flamethrower that takes two slots, even though one or two other players are bringing them? Those swarms sure are brutal, but I only have eight slots total. Do I eat this rot food, which decays me? Anyway, that's my two cents on the subject. On Conan, or 2D20 in general, it's a genius system mechanically, although they don't have a setting I'm in love with. I do, however, agree with Gabe. It's super cutting edge on many levels. Modifius, who did 2D20, also did Mutineer Zero, which is one of the most brilliant systems I've ever played. Highly recommend you check them out, and it's cool because Mutineer Zero and 2D20 are two totally different systems mechanically, yet both are cutting edge, in my opinion. I put their systems up there with Genesis on breakthrough mechanics. Lots of fun and just great games. Pretty close to the gold standard of game design. See you guys next time. Thanks. Matt. Cool. Yeah. That's Those are some bold stuff, words man. there too, Matt. That's good. Bold man. So, oh, gold standards, man. Woo. No, that's cool. I love it when people are when people are passionate about stuff like that and they're like, hey, you know, they that that's awesome to hear. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, Matt V always good stuff. Thanks for yeah, yeah, yeah. again Very commenting, cool. Matt. Yep. I've never even heard of Red Market. Oh, it's interesting. It's a very thick book. And I, the guy, I think, I cannot remember the author, but they are a podcast. Uh, so, like, kind of like you, Brett, like with Streets. He huh. was part of a podcast and created uh, Red Market. It's. Uh, I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, I want to say they had it at I'm Bored, ironically enough. And I thought, if I heard it correctly, was a very kind of an economic, socioeconomic type of game, which is kind of what's where the red market comes into play. So it's, I don't want to say it's cyberpunk, but it's, 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 it's very unique. I, cool. I know that. Yeah. I wasn't overly turned on, but the more I hear about it, I'm like, hmm. There's, there's so much stuff out there right now. It's impossible oh to keep track of it all. I would if talk you, about you, that you, in die roll. You want to go through a rabbit hole, just start wow. like, start at the A's and work your way through. The different rule books on in drive through RPG, yeah, it, it'll take you all day. It's insane the amount yeah. of stuff that's out there. It's a, it's wonderful. Indeed. All right, I'm back. I'm focused. Think I've got my dad settled down. All right, Patron Harrigan writes in. Last week I wrote on, on weapon damage, the whole light, medium, heavy categorization thing, modified by class ability and the like. Brett asked where that came from, and I mentioned the black hack and sharp swords and sinister spells in the Twitch chat. Just a couple of additional details here. The black hack basically assigns a damage die to a class. Yes, it does. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a while since I've read black hat Kerrigan. Anyway, conjurers deal D4 damage in combat, clerics and thieves D6, warriors D8, that kind of thing. That's for first edition. The second edition changes things up a little. Sharp swords and sinister spells builds on the black hack in a number of ways, and it changes up how weapon damage is handled. In this system I described last week, light weapons D4, medium D6, heavy D8, Warriors step up the damage die for any weapon in their hands. Thieves, well, it looks like I made that part up. 
<laughs> I thought thieves dealt more damage with light weapons, but that's not in the rules. Evidently, I pulled that out of my hat. Hey, it's OSR. House rule. House rules. Very cool. All right. Where is... Good grief, I lost my place again. There are, Jesus there are God. things. Yes. God damn. Yeah. There right? are th yeah. Okay. Uh, there are things you can do with this simple model as well. If you're not proficient in a weapon, roll with disadvantage and step down its damage die. If your weapon master in one specific weapon type, roll with advantage and step up its damage die. Since I've got your ear about last episode on resources, loved it, and you're both spot on. Basically, only track ammo, food, torches, and whatnot if resource management is important for the game, and if it's fun for everyone. It's awesome for hex crawls, games about exploration, commanders operating behind enemy lines, establishing an outpost in the wilderness, adventures which are about replacing resources, all the stuff you talked about. Just two bits to add. Bit one, check out Forbidden Lands. It's all about exploration and resource management. A deadly demon mist covers the land for generations, making travel between settlements impossible. Now it's lifted, and the brave are out striking out Reconnecting, explore, exploring ruins, etc. Bit two, have you guys seen the usage die popularized in the Black Hack? It's a mechanic that specifically models dwindling resources without having to count them. Arrows, rations, torches, oil, those delicious ham sandwiches, that excellent elven wine, whatever, is important enough to track, assign it a die. After using the resource in a scene, roll that die. If one or two comes up, the die shrinks down to the next size, down. If you're throwing a D4, a 1 to 2 means you're totally out of the resource. So D10 shrinks to an 8, 8 to 6, 6 to 4. It's a nice way to track things in a non-fiddly way. Check it out. It's in use now across a bunch of different games, including the aforementioned Forbidden Lands. Harrigan. Very cool. I'm going to have to crack out my Black Hack again. It's a very fast read. But i got to take a look at that because they're... It's such a fast read and there's so much coolness in it, I think. Yeah, I was in on the Kickstarter for I think the second printing, second edition. Yeah, and I got it and started reading it, and then that's as far as you that's as far as you got. Oh, yeah. look at this other one. Yeah, pretty much, and, which is yeah. easy to do. Well, and I'm not playing it, so it's like uh, okay, you know. Well, and honestly, as as we just realized, it doesn't matter if we are playing it because we're both playing five E. And fuck, we don't read those rules either. Yeah, <laughs> apparently, so I oh could read them God. and never remember them. Anyway. I just will never remember it. Oh, good Lord. Anyway, over to you, sir. Edwin Nagy writes in about passive health checks uh, that Mr. Shore mentioned in the last episode. Uh, so greetings, B and S. A couple of thoughts on passive skills in 5E in response to random encounters about skills piling um, from applying pressure. Thought the first. One of the things I like about 5E is it has a lot of subtle systems either stated or hinted at. One of them is passive skill piece. Not only does it have passive perception, but it talks about how you could interpret passive athletics or passive nature, which brings me to my more important point. <laughs> Brett, it's part of 5E, Brett. How come we don't uh, know this? I knew this. I knew this. Did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sean doesn't know this shit at all. <laughs> like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. All right. Uh... Let's see. You use passive skills all the time, whether you realize it or not. When you decide that the desk is visible, you are passively most likely using passive perception. You have decided that a reasonable adventurer would see the desk quickly enough that there is nothing interesting to be gained by rolling dice to see if they find or how long it takes to find it. I think the place where our passive GMing skill breaks down is in the gray area. I think of a DC of 12 to 14 as something difficult and therefore worth rolling for. 
in a party of five or six PCs, it is very likely that somebody has an appropriate skill at a high level enough that the PC could overcome that obstacle without rolling. I often forget that one of the goals of 5e is to portray the PCs as awesome. Things that I think would be challenging are things they could do routinely. That's why their passive skills are so high. You, Brett, should not berate yourself for not using passive skills because you do. You have been using passive aggress- aggression. <laughs> aggression. This is when you decide that the PCs mop up the last three kobolds without rolling dice. Their combat skills are high enough that there is nothing interesting to be gained from rolling dice, so the combat is over. Fair point. I have done that as well. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are 10th level, bunch of little scrubs. Yep. There's 10 kobolds and a goblin. They're dead. Move on. Yeah. They're dead. Got yep. it. Back to point number one. The part I struggle with on the passive skills is why do published adventures bother including obstacles with such low DCs? Well, it's because sometimes the PCs are distracted, under pressure, in challenging circles. Circumstances. Yeah. Circs. Now they have disadvantage and their passive skills are at minus five. This time the PC walks into the desk. There's a little more in, in there too, and I think it's one place where the rules back up the type of play that I think you enjoy. Cheers, Edwin. Hmm. <clears throat> you know, something Edwin just said there about disadvantage on their passive skills. I'm not doing that, and I think I should. Not even in inflicting disadvantage um, when people are distracted or, or looking at the circumstances. Pressure. You need to get this done in time. Right? You've got a time crunch on you. You need to get done before the guards walk by. Um, low light, shitty light, anything like that. There's a, re- you know, I could mess with that. There is something to be said about playing the Genesis system, specifically like Star Wars, FF from Fantasy Flight mm-hmm. games. And that is all that system is really, really, really doing is it's a it's dice, dice pool. But as a game master, you're constantly effing with that. You're putting in setbacks. Players mm-hmm. are putting in boost dice. And you're constantly... The difficulty is usually kind of standard. It's like average difficulty, three purple dice. There's a two. But you're always, it's always kind of steady. Like, unless it's something crazy and you have to add another purple die, it's usually the same every time. But there's a setback. Why? Oh, because you're rushed and you're being fired at. And it's foggy and you can't see. And the lighting sucks. And no, oh, by the way, you dropped your, your thing that would help Open yeah. the door. And your right? shoes untied. Yeah, there you go. Okay. And I think in D and D, it's just never. It hasn't been like that for years. Like three O didn't do that shit. Well, I think the other the other thing I'm running into here, and I've talked about this a little bit before, is that I generally am not changing my game master style because um, to fit the rules. I changed oh. the rules to fit my style. Oh, sure. Yeah. So if that. something's going long and I'm like, I don't know if I need that rule because I know how I'll do this. I can make this work. I don't need a rule for that. That doesn't make me better than somebody. It just means that I have a style that I either need to learn to, <laughs> I need to make my own goddamn system that is my style. <laughs> right. Or. Brett's something old else. I don't and know. crusty, and he only does shit the <laughs> way that he, he wants, wants it done. Do it. <laughs> Some of it's a force of habit, dude. 
Oh, I totally agree, you man. Know? It is. It's tough. Um, I think one of the challenges I have, my, um, I've broken out of some of that by running more games at cons and um, by just doing this podcast. Looking oh, at yeah. shit going, oh my God, fuck, I do that all the time. Why am I doing that? <laughs> there's there's crusty old habits that I'm like, oh, I just I just do this. I game master over the top of stuff because I want it, you know, for whatever reason. Interesting. Yeah, that's giving me a lot. To, all these ones between everything we've just up until now, I'm like flooded with. Wow, I suck. <laughs> I need to figure out something better. I think it's. I don't know, man. I you don't know. know. I'm feeling, feeling kind of down right now. Yeah, and when people talk about game mastering, or I see somebody that's like, I ran my first game, any pointers or or something like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about DMing, but I don't know how, or whatever it is. It, this, I sincerely believe, and I think I've said this on the show before, is like, this is, this is a craft, man, that has to be honed. It's something where you... It's an art form, in my opinion, where you just don't read a book and you're like, okay, I'm going to be Dungeon Master. Like, yes, you, that you have to do it, right? So first step I would say to everybody is you got to do it. Second step is you receive feedback or you realize and self-reflect on what you did good and what you did bad. And then you got to play in other games. Because I think if you play in other games, then you're going to go, oh, Brett did this one thing that was kind of cool, or Edwin did that, or, you know, Elaine did that. That's stuff I want to build into my stuff uh, because it makes sense and it created a cool effect or whatever it is, specifically when you have rules that you can kind of bend and mold or whatever. And don't get me wrong. I'm not like, oh, my God, I suck as a game master. Ah, fuck this. I quit. Well, I suck, I, Brett, but every once in a while, you get to look at it and go... We'll talk afterwards. Oh, thanks. Whew, somebody. No, but <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though, when you look at it, like, I, hmm, I think this might be part of the reason why certain new game systems, like, wow, that looks really, really neat. And I read them and I pull a thing out of it that I want. Yes. Or I look for a setting that's interesting more than anything else. And I'm drifting towards certain rule sets that I'm like, I really like this. I like the way it fits the setting. You know, like Astonishing Swordsman, Sorcerer's Hyperborea. I like that. I like the setting. That's cool. I like other things. But there's certain pieces I'm like, I I like 5e for the most part. But there's aspects of it I kind of probably unconsciously don't care for and I'm not using it appropriately. Because I'm like, I know how to, I, I want to do that my way. Right. Yes. And most And there's a times, bit of comfort level in there too, right? Oh, yeah. Like, and most yeah. times the people I'm playing with don't care. Like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, sure. Nobody minds. So, huh? This is this is interesting. This but is, could it? But could it thought, be? It's very thought provoking. But yes, but could it be better? Right. So say game like the players aside, they be like, oh man, oh it's it's hamburger and potatoes. I love hamburger and potatoes. This is yeah. good. Oh, more hamburger and potatoes. Oh, it's got a little salt on it. Great. This is oh, this is great, right? <laughs> yeah. But what if all of a sudden... What if I played it by the rules exactly as written? And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, uh. this kind of tastes like steak. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. I'm not sure. This could be pretty good steak. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... This is interesting. This is... Yeah. Uh, I'm pausing here. I'm thinking, wow. I want to be a better game master. I really, really do. And I think there's times that I just... I get done with a session. I want to kick myself in the ass because I just don't approach things in a particular way or I don't 
paint the picture properly or I don't narrate things well. Or I don't give them the senses. You know? I honestly think after doing this podcast and meeting everybody, listening to this stuff, I take to heart a lot of the things our listeners give us. I really do. I am running more games at cons, running games for patrons, and just doing different things like that. I think I've gotten better. It feels like I'm better. Because I, I've run into, like, the first time I tried to do something to do it the way I always did it, it fucking failed. First time I ran a con game the way I always did it at home was abysmal failure. It was terrible. The, the, the game had no sense, no purpose, nothing. It just collapsed. It was fucking stupid as hell. Got way better, way better since that was ages back. Yeah. But I think because now when I run into certain things, I, I feel the muscle. You know, the reflex kick in to do the thing I've always done. And something that says, you know, Eileen said last time you ran a game that that wasn't much fun. Or she didn't understand a certain point. Or when I ran, I ran uh, the one game at GameHocom, my Avalon game. Jen Brinkman and Eileen Rennett, they're both very pleasant and both super nice. And I looked at Jen because she knows a lot of adventures working on the DCC stuff. And I said, give me some pointers and be cruel. She wasn't cruel, but she had some really strong points of like this, this, and this. If you would add these pieces, add these mechanical things in it, she said narratively it was fine. Add some mechanics in it to make the narration more fun. I, oh, interesting. So that's in my head. Ever since then, when I'm even when I home game, I'm trying to narrate through. I'm like, this, this, this. Now give me a this roll to see if you can do whatever. I'm adding more mechanics into my narrations because it's just. It's working better. So I can be taught. It takes time. I'm thick-headed. I, I get, if I go to a con and I'm going to sign up for a game and somebody says, oh, you are just going to have a blast. They are a great game master, right? That's, that and things heighten up quite a bit. And I'm like, ooh, yay. You know, what am I going to learn? Or what am I going to see? How is it going to be presented? And all this other stuff. Now, sometimes that's, it's a perspective thing, right? Like, oh, they're okay. I don't know if I would call them like the greatest game master in the world, but it does get me stoked because I mean, so many people have a certain approach to different, how they approach rules, how they approach interacting with the players. I tell you, um, man, I, I, yeah. speaking of interacting with the rules, even I, digesting how my group plays, I've been asking them a lot more questions. My home group is like, why do you guys like this? Well, I like all the crunchy bits for character features and, fire around and change this and change that. They really love all that craziness in Pathfinder version one. They love that. They honestly don't give two shits about most of the actual skill checks. They don't care about that. What it comes down to is they like really cool combat feats and powers. God, I wonder if you ran fourth edition, if their heads would explode. Uh, Yeah, it would. Have they, run, have they played any? Fourth? No, no, oh. I haven't. But there's really, like, that's all, but loud. they really like that. And yeah. the other piece though, is that they are also old school, like story gamer, OSR approachy kind of people where they want to explain a thing. Give me a really good player to game master argument as to why they should be able to, to con the slippers off the prince <laughs> and have me say, you got it. it you win without a die roll. Right. So it, there's a weird mashup of skill, uh, I guess, of like really cool, crunchy combat monster stuff 
added in, flushed in, plus a lot of story-driven crap, too. I don't know. It's just ask it, why do you like this? Oh, because of all the options. Uh, to do what? To fight stuff? No, all the other options. Yeah, but you don't use any of those options other than fighting stuff. Huh. Hang on a second. Pause, rewind, and we're, I mean, again, I'm asking that question of my group now because of doing the show and listening to our, the feedback we get like this. And sometimes it seriously gives me pause. I'm like, what the fuck? Why is this working this way? Um, no one's not having fun. I ran the the patron game and um, Noel Burt and a bunch of other people were in my Avalon game. It went fine. Everyone seemed to have a good time. I didn't use some of the passive perception stuff, right? I just didn't. Um, no one complained. Could it have been better had I done some of that? I don't know. I don't well, know. I don't know if we, we know after the fact, right? Yeah, Everybody's, but oh, it, it's a great it, game. And then you're like, huh, uh, okay, let's better? play it. Let's do a shot for shot remake. <laughs> but I'm going to add more rules. You know, it, it feels saying it that way, it feels like, oh my God. Yeah. And I think. I think one of the pieces that may have happened, we're totally tangenting here, folks. We are totally. <clears throat> but I think one of the other things that's happening with some of the, when I get a game is I get it, I want to get it to the table. And now when I take a new game, get it to the table, <clears throat> because of having done the show, been to more cons, listening to more gamers and all this feedback is I now am a much more methodical implement at the table guy. I now run a combat. I run a skill check. I run a chase. I run, I take every core mechanic and I test all of them. And then I take some of the smaller, newlier, weird mechanics and I test those too. I make everybody do them. When I ran DCC the first time with my home group, I did everything except for we never got into a spell duel. The opportunity never happened. But combat, skill checks, um, everything I could find within it. It's not a super rules-heavy system at all. But using casting spells, doing stuff, using all of the features I could to really get people to do it and to see how it all worked. I am now much more methodical about it. When I first got 5e, I did not have that approach. And I'm willing to bet if I had that approach then, my 5e game might be even better. So I'm going to have to go back and do some rereading. All right. All right. I'm, I'm done modeling about that crap. Over to you, sir. I think I read the last one. Do you want me to read the next one? Yeah. Go okay. for it. All right. Yeah, I'm hey. just, I'm, I'm so bummed out. <laughs> go. You read. Hey, hey, don't get down, little don't camper. Don't get down, little gamer. Come Look. on, little gamer. It's Come all on, good. little gamer. Put you on your, put on your pants. Come on over here. Nah, it's some good. dice. It's good stuff. It's good. Keep going. <laughs> right. Patron David F. Blaylog writes in, greetings, BSers. First, I wish to congratulate you on approaching 300 episodes. Hey. <laughs> Thanks, David. Thanks, man. This is an amazing milestone, and you should be pr as proud of yourself as all of your listeners are. Oh, isn't that nice? Very kind of you. A few comments on the last few episodes. This is where he digs in. Oh, put on the butter, and then it's like, <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> I was intrigued enough by the Mothership episode to download a copy for the recommended $7, and I'm pleased by what I have seen in short perusal. I'm telling you, man. Podcasting's where is that, man? People become fans, and then you tell them, like, hey, this is kind of cool, and then they go buy the shit. It's crazy. Well, especially when you look at it for seven bucks. That's on my list of things. I've got, I have a list of things I'm going to buy this next uh, paycheck. <laughs> like For $60, you could buy almost 10 people a copy. Yeah. 
It's crazy. Uh, It's crazy. It reminds me of old classic sci-fi movies such as Angry Red Planet and Journey to the Seventh Planet, as well as better episodes of Lost in Space. I know that it is more centered on the Aliens franchise, but there is a lot of promise there. And it is. We actually talked about this, uh, I think, at the end of Mothership this past Thursday. It was like Jeff Go, myself, Jared Rasher, you know, Dan, Jim, uh, Curtis. But we were talking about Alien, the RPG, and Mothership. And a lot of people like Alien by, um... oh, shoot, I forgot the publishing house. Anyway, you keep talking. I've heard, the, I've heard nothing but good things about it as well. Yes. And but here's the thing, right? I like Mothership because it's not tied to an IP. So if I get the Alien book, which I'm sure is a fantastic role-playing game. Modifius. Modifius, but I think it's specifically not Tales from the Loop. It's... um, But I get what you're saying, though. If you get it, and we've talked about this with IP before, if you stretch or want to morph the IP a little bit, it's harder to play. In Mothership, it could be anything. Yeah, there's no... It, it's one of the... It could be Alien. It could be Cthulhu. It could be something that the players don't know ever existed. It could be Predator. It could be whatever. Like, it could, it could be modeled after anything. It could be, you know... But if you're in the Alien RPG, like, what are you dealing with? Alien? Ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You I know? Hear you. I, hear I also heard that there are some things in that book that seem mysteriously close to some of the things in Mothership. And Mothership was published first. Just wanted to let you know. All right, carry on, carry on. I have dealt with skill piling, as has practically every other GM out there. When I see the situation rearing its ugly head, I quickly go around the table asking each player what actions they are taking before any dice are picked up. As a player, I will defer to a specialist character and trust their role. If they fail, I just assume that there is no information or nothing to be found. If my skills are equivalent, I will either aid or make my own role at the same time at the GM's discretion. Keeping up with the pressure on the players has led me has led to some of the best gaming sessions that I have run. I have set up set them up in a three-way battle where all sides are opposed to each other, followed by a shoot and run es- escape from a shadow construct. They caught their breath on the way home. Uh, only to find their home district under siege nice. and ran a street-to-street battle to stop the carnage while trying to save the citizens. Seems like, a, seems like an everyday thing. Yeah. Pressure forced them to conserve the resources and think on their feet as they never knew what to expect. Next. It is always a pleasure to listen to your thoughtful analysis on various topics in gaming, and you often remind me to do things that I have gotten lazy about. For example... Like like read the rules? Like (laughs) Like Brett and Sean, apparently? Keep going? (laughs) For example, I will try to focus more on the narrative before picking up dice, and then let the fates determine the outcome. Thank you for your time and effort that you put into each episode. You both managed to make each week entertaining and educational, even for grognards like me, and I look forward to the next 300. David F., Baylog. Thanks, David. That's awesome. Thanks, very David. Nice, very kind of you. Yes. All right. I will do the next one. All right. Fair enough, man. Big Scary Prawn comments on skill piling. I think that calling for roll is nearly only best done when failing will lead to something cool. If everyone wants to pick up pick the lock as GM, you look them dead in the eye and say no, because that would be lame. <laughs> Take it L and roll for initiative because all of a sudden there's a zombie T-Rex bounding down the corridor. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Basically, the party will pile on a skill check unless the GM says no. 
You can say there's a rule in the book that mitigates that, but rest assured, players will try to slime into a second roll. You need to look them in the eye. Oh, I already did that bit. Basically, the GM just needs to put their foot down. But that means you can't just let a failed roll lie. You have to make the failure memorable. And that's why I like T-Rexes. Conversely, if you know that the group is prone to a skill piling, just add a bunch to the difficulty. If they get persnickety about a DC-30 ladder climbing check, just remind them that you are also not a fan of extra super double advantage on rolls. They should also roll initiative because there's a T-Rex sauntering across the promenade. Also, I may not be a very good GM. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you right now, that's fucking gold. Yeah, that's Chris. I know. <laughs> we know Chris. He's local here. Yeah. So if we get, if we get through the funny bits, I love, I love that there is, there's some reality to this, right? Certain players are going to try to slam their way into a second die roll, a third die roll, a fifth die roll. Well, oh, if I knew that, I'll help too. Oh, if I knew that, I'll do this. And I think this is, to go back to my earlier, oh my God, I suck point. Um, one of the things I have realized that I do, that I ex that I explained on the show, is I I like to narrate first and then call for the die roll. Okay, you're trying to do this. This is what you're trying to do. Just and roll, and then this thing happens, right? Then then the, the outcome occurs. And I think that doing that is um, is a way that helps to lead so the failure becomes interesting and helps you drag the spotlight. Okay, you're all doing this. Who's taking lead? Sean, you've got the lead. Okay, you roll the die. You do this, and oh, my God, it's a terrible failure. Well, it looks like Eileen trying to help you. She actually crammed her dagger into the thing, pricked her finger. You jerked it away. She snapped the tip of her blade off, and now the lock is permanently locked and broken. Well, fuck. You know? You can you can take that extra piling on that person who's trying to get a second die roll or whatever. And I found in my Pathfinder game on Tuesdays, my players aren't doing it. And I think the reason they're not doing it is because of this. This is what's happening. Who's got point? Who's rolling the dice? Because <coughs> only one die roll. So they decide quickly who's going to roll it. It's Zabe. He's got point. Good. He's got the best skill. He gets a bonus because it's a group. Great roll the die and here's what happens i'm seeing this occurring and we pile in the narrative and then we all have a good time with it so i think <laughs> the look them in the eye component is and you don't have to say no it would be lame although that is fun to do especially if these are friends of yours you know no that's fucking lame what's wrong with you people but the other thing to do is say no you can't do that pick one person to roll that person's gonna have advantage as long as somebody's helping, but it should probably be the person with the best skill, right? The, the person with uh, who's proficient, have them roll the die. And then sometimes they look and go, oh, shit. I was going to have Eileen roll. She, her dice have been hot all night. Or Ange. Ange could roll. Her dice have been great. Brett and Sean, you don't want those guys touching D20s. That's a terrible idea. Oh, fuck. Sean's the one who's proficient. Sean, trembling hands, hands him the double D20s. Give it a shot. And then he rolls a one and a two. God damn it, Sean! You know, this happens. I've seen I've seen Sean do this. But I think that sometimes you, you, you just stop it cold, as we're saying here, as Chris is saying, you know, like, no, one of you's gonna roll, pick the person, and you get a bonus. Don't, don't worry there, you're all helping. I get it. Here's how you're helping, here's what you're doing. Roll that die, Ange. And then she rolls the dice, and there you go. I think there's some power in that. I think that's a, it's a good way to, you can, it's a no, but, or a, it's kind of, you know, like, no, you're not doing, not everybody. No, 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 no. However, here is what you are going to do. 
that still gets the really cool effect you're all looking for. I think there's some wisdom in that. That's pretty cool. Uh, dude, I think we're going to have to push the topic on. I got I got so depressed with myself there for a minute. We're going to push that out. <laughs> okay. Well, this all is right. good. This was good listener feedback. And I am seriously not, I'm, I'm joking, I'm not depressed about myself. But I I love getting stuff like this because it does make me think, what am I doing wrong? What haven't I done? And something as silly as I should go back and reread the rules. Quite frankly, that's something that, again, when I'm looking at, <laughs> my kids wanted to play Call of Cthulhu. I said, which version? You want to play the latest? Oh, yeah, we want to play the latest version. So that's seven. I have the Quick Start Rulebook and I have the Keeper's Guide in hardcover. So I'm like, okay, I should sit down and grab that. Or what I should do, I'm going to grab that Quick Start Rule Kit and I'm going to read that first. I'm like, oh, I know the adventure in the back of this. I ran this before in 5th edition. Ah, I know this adventure. Reread the thing anyway. Reread the character rules. Reread everything in it. I'm like, I got it. I spent Sunday, part of the day, and take the long a small book, busting through it, making sure I got it, checked a couple points, and I'm ready. I methodically went through, how am I going to learn this? Because I know how I learn games. And how can I make sure that I'm implementing all the right pieces here so that I and the kids will have the most fun possible. I want, and you know, so I'm like, oh, yeah, I should do that. Instead of just saying, well, I can wing it. Why wing it? I could. I could GM power, power GM over the top of it, but why do that? And then in a case like this, I'm seriously going to pull my 5e player's handbook back out and reread some of this stuff. <laughs> seriously, because there's some, there's some yeah. good stuff in there, and I'm playing in a 5e game right now. What I'm, what I'm hearing from old school and Jared and Edwin is I look at it and I look at this and I'm like, hey, there's some cool shit in here. I'm missing the cool shit that if for no other reason from a self-preservation of my new character, had I known some of that, my old guy might still be here. <laughs> and while I don't care that he's dead because I'll just make another character, I'm like, man, it would have been cool to have him keep going. Yeah, there's uh, knowledge is power, right? So why not reread that stuff? I'm going to do it for my Tomb of Annihilation game with Jeff in it. I'm just going to pretend that it, all the previous rulings I ever made during the game, if if I change something, I'm going to pretend like I'm not changing it. It's like it's always been in place. It's always been this way. And when they they complain about it and go, hey, wait a minute, hold on a second. I'll just go, what are you talking about? Look it up in the rules. Flip, flip, flip right here. <laughs> it's right here, Jeff. Page 253, paragraph what? six, line what? four. Wait a minute. Son of a bitch. You never what? did that before. This is how we play, Jeff. I, I, I don't know what I, you're talking about. I don't know what we're you're going by about. the rules of 5e, man. What's going on? Yeah. You've been cheating on me? Is that were you cheating on me in previous sessions? <laughs> oh, making, you bastard. Making stuff up? Oh, you're just admitting that you're cheating. That's great. That's good to know. Good to know, Jeff. Yeah, Damn baby. <laughs> Sean, baby. All right. Jeffrey. All right, I guess we're going to skip the main topic because, you know, this, this is how, feedback, how do we so. talk about main topic after all this feedback? You can't. You can't. That's you just can't. You can't do it. So we'll move on. What you all got right. for die roll? Die roll. All right. Two to four miscellaneous uh, points of gaming and geekery, geekery we want to share with you. So the first one I found, Bella Souls comes up in my like feed every once in a while, and it's got some good articles. Uh, it's just not clickbait. So D&D Real... D&D Real Guide? Oh, that's not right. Maybe it is. Realm. Realm Guide. Realm Guide. I thought the friend was wondering. That's not right. D&D Realm Guide. Realm Greyhawk. Guide. Greyhawk. So if you want to know about Greyhawk, it's a good article on that by uh, J.R. Zambrano. 
Uh, so check that out. Second one, Heists on Miracle the 4th. Heist on Miracle 4, not the 4th, Miracle 4. It's a cipher system adventure being offered from Monty Cook Games and written by Dominique Dickey. And my understanding is Dominique was an intern with Monty Cook Games. And while he was an intern, he Dominique created this, this adventure module. Um, and for the month of June, up until June 30th, the proceeds um, for that module are all going to go towards Black Lives Matter. So I'll have a link to that. I think it's like two bucks, honestly. So check it out. Uh, last one, kind of, kind of last one, kind of maybe not. So there's a bundle for racial justice and equality. Donate five bucks and you get 740 plus works by over 560 creators. Now it's not all tabletop, but the ones that are included are Blades in the Dark, For the Honor, and The Steadfast and the Rebellious. Those, um, our, bo- our buddy Rob Wheland writes for Forbes and he posted this and I went and looked at the bundle and it is crazy obscene. The bundle goal is like $6 million and I think they've raised $2.6 million. Wow. Yeah, man. That's cool. Yeah, so that's and that's five dollars. I, th- I don't know if you can donate more than five, but five somebody probably if it's a donation, you can donate more. I'm positive. Yeah, but, but I don't I mean know. if you think <sighs> if you think two million dollars and people only throwing five dollars at it, holy right. shit! That's my point. Now, having said that, I don't have any other ones that I have in the notes. However, if you go to the bundle website or even do a bundle RPG bundle in Google. For Black Lives Matter, there is, I know at least three other ones I found, different ranges, different games, different amount of games, different amount to contribute, mm-hmm. uh, all for a great cause uh, that's going on in, in the U.S. of A. If, if you've tuned into the news, you know what what's going on. So, no, there's always, there's a really cool thing about the gaming hobby, and this is... This is not to make it about us, but you know, no. you, uh, we, we get to see, we get to have really cool listeners and people write in and tell us really cool stuff. And whenever the chips are down for any group, I, the best gamers, which are most of the gamers I know and our listeners, they go, Hey, I can help somebody. All I got to do is do this. I'll do that. I'll play a game for this. Hey, there's a game for charity. I'll throw in on that. Gamers are some pretty kick ass folks. We yeah. really are. There's, you know, yeah, we got a couple people every once in a while that uh, make you shake your head roll your eyes but damn it i've uh, i've met a lot of bsers in person um just online and everyone i've met have, have been just damned amazing so yep. there's, there's some really cool stuff that people do in the gaming sphere to try to help it's awesome who knows maybe streets of avalon yeah, I'm actually maybe, working maybe. on that, dude. We'll, I'm we'll working see. on it right now. Yeah. Uh, oh, Enco- you are? Yes, I am. Oh, Encoded, Encoded okay. Designs. I don't want to say anything for no, sure. No, Encoded or not. and uh, Phil from Encoded got a hold of me. Said, "Hey, we want to put together a bundle to try to <clears throat> try to do a little something." I'm like, "Dude, I'm in." Yeah, of course. Now, most folks that listen to us may already have a copy, but if you need an extra, or if you got a player you want to gift it to, like, yep. yeah, there's all kinds of options. So. We'll put that out there on the Twitters and, and everything when that gets released. So thanks for doing that. You know? That was, it was something I, I thought about. I'm like, you know, I, I don't, I don't know enough about, and this is where 
Phil did a lot of legwork. The encoded folks did a lot of legwork as to what type of charitable or, or charitable organizations make the most sense. We've talked about this in the past when people have like, hey, we want to raise money for all the shit fires in Australia and different places. There's a lot of different charity groups out there, and some are better than others. So in the fervor of anything going on, you want to make sure that whatever it is you're doing goes to the right type of place. Right. So the encoded folks did a lot of a lot of that legwork, which I'm really proud to kind of be connected to them in that space. So they were able to say, hey, we've got it and this type of thing, done some research. Like, oh, thank you. This is perfect. Because sometimes, frankly, like I want to, I want to do a thing. What if I do the wrong thing? Then you feel like an idiot, you know? Right. right. And it, and I'm not helping anything. So anyway, cool like stuff. Not, like not reading the rules. Yeah. Oh God. Stand on that now. Just make me feel down now. So Brett, what are we talking about next week? Reading the rules. How, 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 how I'm gonna. <laughs> no, Brett. Brett. No. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, t- no, Brett. So it's so depressed. Brett, we're gonna talk about what we wanted to talk about tonight. Next oh week. yeah, we were gonna no. talk about some methods that we have for implementing different um, tracking rationed gear and so on, different tools. Now we've had some really good ones here from Black Hack and so forth, but um, from some of our listeners. But Sean and I have a couple different tips and tricks ourselves that we want to share, and that's what we're gonna talk about next time. So. Yeah, baby. All right. So uh, thanks for everybody tuning in to Twitch. Thanks for everybody subscribing. We're on Twitch Thursday nights live at 8 p.m. Central Time. If you are Thursday nights, Monday nights at 8, we're recording this show. Every other Thursday, I'm running Mothership for the time being. And then after that's done, we'll switch it up and then uh, go from there. But everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. I'm Brett. My dad just texted me. I'm like, Dad, really? Really? I just had this fixed. God damn it. Oh, I'm, and Brett. For, I'm, I'm horribly distracted and depressed, Brett. Good night. On, on behalf of Brett and his father. <laughs> good night and good game and all. Oh, I need some sleep. Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Ray Otis, Stefan Dragonspawn, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig... Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Jim Fitzpatrick, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Howard Bishop, Eric Salzweedle, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Andy Hall, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Brian Rumble, Henry Newcomb, Eric Tavola, Roger Braslett, Mark Soam, Andy Olson, Eric Avia, Ron Blessing, Jeff Seifert, Mike Hess, Angus, Rory Weston, Curtis Hinson, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Hoos Carl, Jason Weeb, $1 Adventure Frameworks, Jared Rasher, Phil McClory, George Sedgwick, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Jay Plata, Michael Dinos, Matt Cyberlick, Chad Gleyman, Finolf, Josh Wallace, Adam... G, Corey Welch, Merkel Froelich, Rich Wishan, Joe Swick, Chris Takahashi, and Aaron Relia. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingmbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers.
This has been a Litterbox Studio production.